every time you don't allow a pregnant lady extra pee breaks, you get taxed for that. Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, one dollar at a time, with your hosts, Janine and Tara. Welcome to season four. Woohoo! It's been like what, like an actual year since we recorded? No, it hasn't been that long, I don't think. Has it? It might be almost an actual year. <laughs> we did. We were recording in the pandemic. Now I want to go we back did, and look. Yeah. Very early in the pandemic, yeah. Uh,. No, October 21st, 2020. Oh, okay. okay just fine, feels fine, like fine, a year. Fine. It does. It feels like a really long time. Yeah, and I guess, you know, the new the new uh, developments in your life have not been around for a year. That's a really odd way to lead into that. What's going on since, uh, since October when we last recorded? Well, about a month after, I had my little baby boy, and... Yeah, it's been interesting raising a child in the pandemic. Um, he's going to be six months this month, and I truly do not know how time has gone so fast. And also, we are still in this pandemic. It feels like it has also been so slow. We are in the third wave right now. We're back in a semi-lockdown. And yeah, it's... It's a lot being a parent in a pandemic and I don't even, like I'm on maternity leave. I don't have to work right now. And that is actually what we're going to be talking about this week is childcare. And I think that we've seen just how much it takes a village to raise a baby and a child. And I think so many, specifically women's uh, supports have been taken away. But you also had some some news while this pandemic has continued to go on for uh, 14 months. 14 what did months. you do? Well, we moved. Uh, unfortunately, we're still stuck in Alberta, um, but we moved. <laughs> <laughs> so you moved yeah. cities. We moved cities, yeah. And uh, yeah, just like packed up, moved, sold the old house. And uh, did not have to buy another one. Got right in with some, you know, reasonable rents. And uh, yeah, loving the renting again. And the, I don't know. It felt disruptive at the time. Moving during a pandemic would not recommend. You can't safely, or at least you don't feel like you're safely looking at places. And finding new childcare during a pandemic is also really, really difficult. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, with all of the um, cases that have happened in daycares and elementary schools and high schools, 
it feels like, at least when I hear my friends talk about it, that it could be at any second, there could be a phone call and you need to go get your kid immediately. Yep. That's, that's exactly the case. Like we've been, we've been pretty lucky. Like the kids have only ever had colds. We've never been a close contact of a, of a positive case. Um, you know, I feel like even at this daycare, I feel like we know most of the, maybe not most of the parents, but we know a few of the parents and it seems like everybody's doing as much as they can, but it really, it just takes one person. I mean, kids in daycare, they, they want to be close to each other and they do lick each other. And I can't expect that the daycare workers are going to ensure that, you know, kid A keeps their own saliva away from kid B. They're not, exactly. they're not going to be perfect. And, and I mean, especially if those kids have siblings that are in grade school, it can transmit really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had... Uh, We've heard of older siblings having to isolate and the little ones being away from from daycare for a little bit. And again, like everything's always been fine, but yeah, it just takes that one thing. I think um, with what we've gone through and knowing parents who have older children, um, we've been really lucky, but it's still really disruptive to every time a child has uh, any symptom. Um, you know, or now that we're in spring, like allergies, we, you know, we're trying to do the right thing and keep them home. Even those symptoms that they could go, um, I think my personal choice has been to keep the kid home. Um, if there's a cough or a sniffle or whatever, um, until we know it for sure if it's allergies or not, or for sure if it's not COVID. And I think most of the other parents that I've talked to have said the same. You know, it's not it's not the time to be sending your kid to school with a runny nose. Um, yeah. If you're able. Like, it's a privilege to, to, to be able to make that choice. Totally. Um, and I think we've seen just how much privilege those of us that have been able to work from home for this past year have had because, you know, if, if you work at Safeway or if um, you're stocking shelves somewhere or or anything and work at a meatpacking plant, like, you can't work from home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, you're going to be sending your kids to school while they're sick. Like, and when you talk about these, you know, the people that we've deemed essential workers – we really haven't given them essential pay. So it's not as though they've got like a mad amount of cash just sitting there in emergency fund, like we've talked about in, in past seasons to just say, yeah, no, I'll take this like five days unpaid leave. Like that's fine. Well, cause we Ooh. still don't have sick days, which is a whole exactly. nother. Like, I mean, and that's bare minimum right now. Like we should have sick days for, the worker, we should have sick days for the worker's kid. We should have sick days for the worker's spouse. Because, like, honest to God, like, if my husband, like, came down with, like, a COVID-like thing, like, I would be taking time off, man. Like, I'm not going to potentially, you know, <laughs> if it gets really bad, you know, like, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Like, my work is not that important to not take care of, like, my sick spouse. 
that's well and so an interesting thing i've been doing a decent amount of research on what different countries and different companies are doing around the world and i came across actually something that i think is really interesting in sweden they actually offer parents up to 480 days of parental leave to use before the child is eight so what that looks like is you know Parents are going to take some time off, obviously, when that kid is born. And you actually only get the full amount if both parents take 90 days, at least, if you're not in a dual um, spousal relationship, like not a single parent. So you have the 480 days. You might use a year or something for uh, going on, you know, maternity or parental leave at the beginning. But then anytime something happens, maybe a sickness or maybe... Um, just trying to get your child um, a few days in between summer camps. You can take a couple days of parental leave in your company and it's totally legal. You are still getting paid. Um, I think it's a great program and I think it offers parents a lot of flexibility up until that kid is eight, which I guess maybe at that age, and you can argue what age a child can kind of be a little bit more self-sufficient, but eight is pretty decent. Yeah. And so the 480 days, do you know if they're working days or calendar days? You know that I don't know. Um, I'm sure I could do a quick Google here. 480. I would assume working days. I would too, because like you're not paid on the weekends. Exactly. Yeah. It says... Parents are entitled to 480 days of parental leave for each child. If you have twins, you're entitled to an additional 180 days. The way it sounds is that it's like actual days. Like it's like you use it one day against a work day. Yeah. And that's how I would like ours should actually be days as well. Like the 12 months or 18 months of uh, maternity slash parental leave that we have here is a little bit bogus. Like, how can you mandate me? Like, if I am a seasonal worker or whatever, how can you mandate that I would have 18 months? Like, it should be uh, like a minimum of, say, 18 months, but the calculation should be based on working days. You know? Totally. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to um, put people in this situation where they're basically using leave, government-funded or otherwise, on non-working days. You had those days off anyway. Those are family days anyway. We already yeah, decided they were important. And stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be nice to, to see something like that. And is it 480 per person? No, the 480 is for the family. Okay. Plus the 10 that you get to stay at home as the dad at the very beginning. That's in addition to the 480. So I guess, you know, why that would be such an important program is if I've been hearing stories where it's like it's two or three days to book a test for COVID and then you're waiting two days for results. Like you're talking, you're taking a full day off work and in places where there are no sick days or you're an hourly worker or you don't have vacation days, um, you're not getting paid anything. Yeah. Like you're deciding, do I take a COVID test or do I eat? And like, honestly, if you're on the brink, um, to be, to be perfectly blunt, um, it's, 
more of a risk that you're starving to death and that your family is starving to death. Um, well, and so I know there's like go, a a government benefit this because uh, they split serve, but there's like yeah. one that where if you're at home taking care of someone that's sick, but I don't know if that's covered for just like being at home waiting to get a test. Uh, maybe we'll like double check this, but I believe it is, but then it takes a really long ass time to get it. And like, there are credit card bills. There are, there's rent. Like, and we already went through this at the beginning. We could have figured this out at the beginning, you know, yeah. like people were already saying curb was too long. Like we didn't need to end that shit. Um, anyway, I'm getting heated and away from like what we were going to talk about today, but like the government programs for taking time off to care for someone with COVID, to care for someone who's waiting for test results, to isolate where test results are ridiculous. They don't work for people who don't have an emergency fund. They don't work for people who don't have paid sick days. They just, they don't work. But They're here's not, the thing. And it's clear it's not who, working. Look at our numbers. Who, like, had an emergency fund that was going to last them this long? Like... Right? You know, the the experts, and I was one of those people that said, you know, three to six months living expenses, but like, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, I didn't expect the global yeah. pandemic to go on for 14 months. And it's it still didn't not have over. to. Yeah, it didn't have to go on this long. There's no need that, that we needed it to go on this long. And um, yeah, and, and especially to be able to like liquidate your emergency fund too. So even if you had a three to six month emergency fund held in cash, And then you have to like dig into something else. Like if you didn't have to dig into it in the beginning, you were probably fine. But we do all remember the day that the stock market shut down, right? Like you were not allowed to trade. Yeah. So that's happened a couple of times. Yeah. Well, it's happened a couple times over the pandemic. Yeah. This has been interesting as well. But yeah, we're getting away from from childcare and daycare. So, um, Obviously, becoming a new parent, I have put our little one on a bunch of daycare wait lists here in Calgary, but I am appalled at just how much it costs. One of the daycares in our area is $1,600 a month, and they require both parents to volunteer 12 hours per year, which I'm just like, oh my God, I do enough already. Like... I'm tired. This pandemic has been draining. Like I don't have time or the mental capacity to volunteer on top of paying basically a mortgage payment. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It's just like so much. And then there are daycares that are, uh, won't take your kids till they're 19 months old. Mm -hmm. Um, So not even the 12 months because I think it's like pretty much impossible to get your kid into a daycare if they're under 12 months. But um like then yeah. it's like some of them are 19 months and yeah, uh, it seems very exhausting. And again, the same problem with, uh, you know, a positive case and then you're still paying for daycare and you have to take time off work and they're at home. Um, yeah. and I know you dealt with it when your little one was even smaller, but mm-hmm. I just, I'm hopeful a little bit when I hear things like the $10 a day daycare. I think the NDP group program that was $25 a day was really well received. Um, Obviously the UCP hate women, but um, one of the daycares in our area was actually one of those NDP daycares that was $25 a day. And now, unfortunately it's back up to $1,300 a month. So 
I want to know what do you think about the $10 a day daycare that is hopefully going to be rolled out over the next five years. Yeah, I mean, the five years goes over an election period, so I do kind of feel like it's being dangled as an election promise, and I don't love that because it's at least $10 a day daycare is necessary for society to function. Just plain and simple. Um, I think fully, uh, fully publicly funded and universal childcare is what we actually need for society to thrive. Um, I think anyone who is against $25 a day daycare, $10 a day daycare, fully and complete universal publicly funded daycare doesn't just hate women. They hate parents and they hate kids because you're hurting everyone with this. So $10 a day would be great. I don't think it goes far enough. And I think they could have rolled it out like a lot sooner. Like I've seen, we've seen them like continue to dole out the uh, wage supplement, which has been a complete and total cash transfer to large, uh, you know, tending towards monopolistic companies. So like, I think they could have done this yesterday um so yeah I'm a little... I don't know if it needs to take five years I think it doesn't need to take five years I'm like can it happen by November because that's when <laughs> we're gonna need it yeah I mean we were not the only province that had $25 a day daycare and it came before the end of the NDP's term so it didn't take five years um yeah that's I wonder how long it actually did take yeah, I'm sure we could go back, but I feel like that happened pretty damn quick. And you could um, you could definitely prioritize certain areas. You could say the full rollout, but like we haven't seen anything. We haven't seen uh, whether or not it's going to be means tested. I'm going to be super pissed if um, when it comes down to it, it's going to say like oh, only single parents or only if you have uh, an income less than 60,000 or only a, like a family income less than 60,000. Yeah, because 000. here's the or thing. This. It's mm-hmm. like you can make it like and this obviously comes from a place of privilege, but making six figures today with the costs and living in a metropolitan area like Calgary or Edmonton, $100,000 doesn't go that far. No, a single family on $100,000 does for a family income, like that's two parents working full time at $50,000 a year gross. That's that's not that's not Calgary high life, right? Like this is not um you know, people aren't like rolling in it when you have to pay $1,600 a month in childcare. That's... On top of your mortgage, on top of your rent, on top of your utilities, on top of your mm-hmm. condo fees, on top of your property taxes, like it's gonna it costs like like five grand to live per month. Exactly, and we know when you look at the other side of it, like who are the biggest consumers? It is like new parents. Like we're also expecting these people who have decided to like cohabitate and start a family together. We're expecting them to. Um, you know, push this system along by buying the brand new baby crib, by buying the car seat, by buying the new family-friendly car, by no longer utilizing public transit because we didn't make it family-friendly because we didn't. Buying a new house in the burbs, so now you need two cars. Like, we are gouging people and we are, like, ensuring that parents are financed to the brink. So, yeah, at a bare minimum, we need $10 daycare yesterday. 
And I, yeah. There's a lot of, I think, misconceptions or negative, I don't know if it's negative viewpoints or like arguments against this daycare. Obviously, um, one of them being, you know, you're just giving people money, but I mean, that's not really the case. They, they, it's, they're just not spending it. Um, the other thing I really hope is that they don't do it as like a tax credit. I think that would oh my be God, stupid. No. Um, yeah, please no. Not a damn tax like you credit. Have to, you have to cough up 20 grand over the year. So yeah. if Chris, is it Christian Freeland? Is that her name? Christian Freeland, yeah. Christian Freeland, if you're listening yeah. to this. I'll look forward to this episode. No tax credits. I am always happy to talk with Alberta and with all the provinces and territories. We're clear about our objectives, and that is to get to affordable, average $10 a day childcare for Canadians across the country in five years. And we're going to focus on high quality care, on accessible care, and on affordability. No, not a tax credit. Like we already have. Uh, a tax credit we get to claim up to eight thousand dollars or whatever that does fuck all for me like i'm sorry that does fuck all like i need to pay my child care worker today my child care worker needs to feed their family fucking today i need to go to work today so if i don't have that care available to me two fucking day like we're hooped and then it gets into, you know, the different levels of childcare that you're able to afford as well. So if I put this on a credit card, I'm going to have to spend even more money um, in childcare because try and find uh, a daycare that takes a credit card. They're going to be more expensive. A day home provider is going to want cash or e-transfer, okay? And I honestly, I don't even care. I don't even want the taxes from the day day home provider, I don't even want their money. I want that guy that was arguing with him, uh, with you, I want his money. I want the people who have gone out and bought multiple properties during this pandemic. I want the yacht money. That's what I want. That's what I want to use to fund this shit. I don't want a tax credit. I, I don't want it means tested. I don't want any limitations. I don't want day home providers to like go without. I want them to get better working hours. I want them to be in in the um in the facilities with full worker protection so that they can have their damn sick days too and they don't have to be going to work sick um because they need five kids in their house so they can put food on the table i don't want that like i'm done with this bullshit i'm done with it well and it's interesting that you i I fully agree with you and i do think it's bullshit but it's interesting that you bring up like how are we going to pay for it because i think that's a question that we get not us specifically but the whole thing i obviously have lost all my ability to use words <laughs> in the mommy pandemic. brain just mommy like, brain plus like no socializing in the pandemic so we're gonna right? have to get back into this because um apparently i don't know how to speak anymore anyways what i was trying to say is i think when we talk about how we pay for this i think in a sense it does pay for itself so not only are we paying that employee and they like if they are in an accredited daycare I mean you should always claim all your income on taxes because that's illegal to not but so they're also paying taxes plus there are so many 
it's usually women who end up staying home because they feel like they can't have a career and afford childcare because for some reason it only falls on the mother to mother's wage to pay for childcare when mm-hmm. in actuality it should probably be both parents' uh, income paying for that or like mm-hmm. kind of perceiving the payment of that because usually it's like oh well it's three thousand dollars for daycare and I only make like three thousand after tax so does well I'll just stay home because I'm the lower income earning spouse and it's always the woman who's the lower income earning spouse because of the wage gap and the perpetuation of men not ha- or men having higher paying careers and jobs but so if women are going back to work and they're becoming, you know, managers and executives, they're also paying more taxes. So there's, it's a win-win. We're, we're getting more tax revenue on both sides of the equation. And I do think it will fund itself. So wait, are you saying that ladies should be taxed at the same rate as their, their male coworkers? Janine, does that make <laughs> you a bad feminist? Is that, no, I don't I think heard so. that was anti, I thought that was misogynist to ask people to pay taxes. That they're marginalized rate. Or, sorry, marginalized (laughs) rate. (laughs) We should pay taxes Um, at our marginalized rate, Tara. That is correct. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, that was just, like, a random dig. Um, But, yeah, no, definitely. Like, we will, like, get more people out into the workforce. And it will actually help with the wage gap and stuff. Because then you won't have employers be like, oh, well, I can't ask this lady if she's going to, like, use her uterus or not um, to procreate. And so I'm just going to have to look at every woman as though they're like some kind of liability because they might never come back. And then I might have to retrain and whatever. And then you lose all the bullshit arguments that people use to pay women less because there you go. Like childcare is covered. You don't have to worry. Like my uterus is not your liability anymore, dude. Like you're fine. In my ideal world, actually, when I become prime minister, um, okay. Or finance minister of Canada, the government will give a certain amount of tax credits to corporations for corporations that have on-site subsidized daycare for their staff. And it will actually be somehow mandated that this be a thing because I actually think that companies should have to have some buy-in as well because then both Uh, parents, male or female, or however you identify, are more likely to use it if it's right on site. So I'm all about give as many tax credits as you want to corporations, like on a maybe a dollar per dollar basis if they're spending money on um, on on-site subsidized daycare or free daycare for their employees. That being said, there also has to be government um, programs for people who maybe like work part-time or like if they can't have an on-site, like maybe a meatpacking plant can't have a subsidized on-site daycare because it's too dangerous or whatever. But if there were corporations, I mean, look at Calgary, we have a shit ton of office space. Like, let's turn that into some on-site daycares for people that are working downtown. Okay, so I'm I'm with you on like the centralization of like the payment and the funding of uh, childcare and like the decentralized um, access because I do think it's really important to have 
um, access everywhere. Like this is kind of the same problem we get in with transit and the food bank and that kind of thing. Like if you put it far away from the people who need it, like they're not going to be able to use it and you end up with a lot of inequity. So I like having like the options in neighborhoods and by workplaces, like all of that. But I do not trust the corporations to do the right thing, unfortunately, with that. I think I think we'd end up in a similar position that we are now where we're like devaluing childcare. And um, I think it could be used as like a weird tied, like tied to your employer. You know what I mean? Like, you know how, um, you know how migrant workers get stuck with the same employer because that's the only path to like permanent residency and stuff like that. If your employer is in charge of your childcare, like, can you leave? Well, if every employer offered it, like if it was mandated and then, for but, every but then, employer. But what if you get laid off? And so then you're laid off. Well, so you that's why I don't have childcare anymore. Your your kids lose their friends, and then um, when you're looking for work, you don't have childcare for your interviews. Well, so that's why there has to be other. I think there has to be other places for you know people who are sick or taking care of their parents or. Like, there has to be another thing in addition to corporations, but I do think that the corporations should have some, maybe, and maybe it's not on-site run by the company, maybe it's just that we add a new tax in and um, the government charges every company that they employ, uh, like, I don't know, think of a number, $10 a head. And that's for every employee and that gets pooled and then the government has free daycare for all Canadians. I don't know. If I'm being, if I'm being vindictive, I think what I would say, and I don't think it's a bad thing, I would say if I were going to add an additional tax to pay for childcare at like a corporate level, like an incentive, every single time they hire back a person after mat leave and instead of giving them their same job back because they were able to hire like a fresh out of school grad at a lower salary, they give them some like drudgery style work to hopefully kick them out. Every time a corporation restructures and somebody on mat leave loses their job, I want, I want that I want it. I want like a big, huge ass tax on like every time you ask a lady whether or not she's going to have children, I want a tax for that. Every time, yeah, every time you use the very, very flimsy labor law that we have for mat leave in this country against a working woman, I I want that money. I want whatever you thought the benefit of that would be times eight. Let's call it the pink tax. Let's call it the pink tax. Yeah, done. My next one was every single time you make a pregnant woman use her sick time to go to a, a maternity appointment, like to look at the baby or whatever, get your blood work, you get taxed for that every time. Every time you don't allow a pregnant lady extra pee breaks, you get taxed for that. Mm. Yes, definitely. Every time. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't mm-hmm. let them have naps during the day. 
you get fine. No. Every time you push any worker, so pregnant worker or like, you know, when somebody like has a, an accident or whatever and they have to go to modified work and you're like, well, they said you could work four hours a day. So like, we're going to push you to the brink until you have a mental or physical breakdown. Every time you do that to somebody, you have to pay extra. Every time someone goes on stress leave from their job, you have to pay extra. You have to pay extra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we should just be in charge of the country. Yeah, I mean, this is also if unions did their job, but that's another story. Uh, (laughs) So what do you say? What do you say to people who, and I've heard it, and I know you have too, don't have kids if you can't afford them. Oh yeah. Okay. So one. We know that there is, like, a benefit to society. Like, we are training, if you want to look at it, like, from a, you know, like, economic system kind of thing, we're getting more people out into the workforce, and we're tra- training the next generation of workers. So you kind of, you want this. You re- If you are really, like, hardcore economy person, you actually want this. Yeah, who's um, going to be your doctor when you're old? Yeah, yeah. The other thing, though, is... And the reason why I think they don't want this is because it would help a lot with, like, the stratification of income and wealth disparity um, between, like, the the higher wealth people and, and the very, very poor people in society. Because this is something that, uh, you know, a newly single mom, regardless of uh, income or lifestyle or savings, can now utilize this to go out and find work. Um, you can utilize this to, to enrich your own life. You can utilize this to actually like get a, get ahead and, and a dad as well, you know, a newly single dad or, or what have you, or young parents, or, uh, I think this would be a win for older grandparents too, because it doesn't say who's meant to be taking care of the kids. Right. Um, so I think that well, and not really everyone just well. has their grandparent kicking around being able to drop what they're doing or live in the same city as them to just watch their kid. Yeah, exactly. Or like maybe the grandparent like still needs to work as well. And you're asking a grandparent to end their their work early um, and maybe not have as much saved put away for retirement because now they need to re- retire early and maybe not comfortably to take care of someone else's children. Right. Um, where you have a lot of people that could be working in this industry and you're just denying them jobs. So no matter how you look at that from like an economic perspective, I think it works. And then if you look at it from a wealth inequality perspective, it works. I think it would do a lot to, uh, you know, bring the top end down a bit and really level the playing field for poor parents. Um, and also there's an aspect of reproductive justice in there too, because like I, I, you have probably felt it as a white lady as well. Like everybody wants you to have like a shit ton of kids. Nobody wants us to have birth control. Nobody wants us to have abortions. Nobody wants to have a say of when we get pregnant or how we get pregnant or who we get pregnant with. They just want us to like pump out more babies. So if you're telling me that I've got to sit here and like use my uterus until it falls out of my body, like you (laughs) should. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, That's good. (laughs) Um... But, like, should you not pay for those children? And 100%. then, like, I think this is, like, it's it's a racialized dig as well. Because then we have, um, you know, uh, women of color who have been forcibly sterilized as well. You can't afford your kids. You have birth alerts. You have kids being taken away 
um, from women who are not white and in a variety of settings and stuff like that too. So I think this is a reproductive issue as well. Like on the white woman side of things, it's to say like, we are not just baby machines. And on the non-white side of things, it's to say like, I'm allowed to have as many children as I want when I want. And you're not going to take them away from me because now I can afford childcare. And if I can afford childcare, then I can afford food. And, you know, those kind of things. And that has to do with, like, generational wealth. I'm not saying, like, all non-white people are poor. Um, but we live in a system that makes a lot of non-white people poor. Um, but, yeah, so that's what I would say to that. So one thing I did want to mention is actually this, like, notion of wealth inequality and wage inequality because women aren't in the workforce, because they don't have access to affordable childcare. And what I thought when I was doing some of this research that was super, super interesting is kind of twofold. So the first is based on what's happened in the pandemic, one in five women have left the workforce, which just means it's way more shitty than it was before the pandemic. Um, One in five women have left for caregiving reasons. So whether that's elderly or uh, small children, they just can't do both. And it does fall on the women in most situations more than men. Um, And on that, uh, I think there's another piece that also perpetuates this is the fact that once you have a child as a woman, you're actually paid 4% less than uh, you would per child. So if you have one child, you're like on average women's wages are 4% lower than their um, non-child-rearing counterparts. And men's wages actually go up by 6%. And that's known as the fatherhood benefit versus the motherhood penalty. And I think this all ties into the story around affordable, accessible childcare. Because when we have affordable, accessible childcare, then... Again, you're not perceiving as women as as being less productive because they have to ditch out and pick up their kids. Not ditch, that's such a bad word, but like leave work to pick up their child because apparently some daycares only go to 3 p.m. And Mm -hmm. our working days don't, which is mind-boggling to me. But so women get like negative stereotypes because it's never the, not never, but like, I don't want anyone being like, not all men, but you know. In most situations, well, it's mom leaving to go pick up the kids. Yeah, but even when even when men are going to like be doing some of the childcare work, like, oh wow, like great for you for helping out. Good job, whatever. babysitting. And you're like, yeah, and you're like, um, you're commended for it. You're rewarded for it, as you could see with like the six percent. Now I could see, um, you know, uh. Uh, super diehard, uh, like, I'm just going to call them a misogynist because they are, um, on the interwebs or whatever, saying, like, well, like, you lost 4%, but now your husband got 6%, so there you go. That's making but a lot of assumptions. It's making a lot of assumptions. Um, also, it's super heteronormative, for one. Yeah. So, like, what happens to ladies um, who want to procreate together? Um, Single parents? Two, it ties, even in a hetero relationship, it ties women to this one person. That person might not be a great person. 
So even if it were structured, like, let's say, because this is how it is, it's just not, like, mandated, but this is how it works out, is that women get paid less, they get stuck at home, the men just keep making more, and so it just, like, cycles. So it's almost it's a way like to somebody... control women. It is a way to control women, because it's almost like, oh, here, hubby, like, you get an extra 10000 a year, and now what, your lady can stay at home. And it is. It's a way to control women. It's absolutely a way to control women. It's a way to reduce us again to the sum of like who we're married to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's 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 not great. Like unless you hate women, which is why I would say that these are misogynistic arguments. This is not good. No, because you're either you're either keeping women in poverty keeping mothers in poverty or you're tying them to this person who like yeah maybe they're great but maybe they're not or maybe you just don't like them anymore and that's fine too or what if they die yeah well and you should be able to leave like that's that the thing too. like you sh- you're you're a full and complete human being when you should be treated as, as such and it shouldn't be looked at as like a family unit no i think that's that's bogus that's bonkers actually Um, now this also fits into kind of our last point that we wanted to discuss a little bit here which is this like bullshit ass phrase that like the mom is the best person to raise the kids Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and so like i do think that goes back to like this this mom person um because it's usually a mom is she's a full and complete person man like she's not just here to like raise babies and do stuff and like maybe that makes her feel great but maybe it doesn't and if you are thinking oh well like if you're trying to say like the the child care workers aren't that good give more fucking child care workers then man but these are people these are people early child care educators are people that went to school for something that they are passionate most times are passionate about caring for children like don't get me wrong i love my kid but like Shit, watching him play with like the rings is like boring AF. Like, I'm sorry. I don't I don't want to wipe um ten kids shitty butts. Like I don't. I don't want to do that. Some people actually like find value in that. And I don't think that we should be overworking those people. I don't think that daycares should be 12 hours a day and I drop off my kid and I see the same person when I drop them off and the same person when I pick them up. I think that's bullshit. What I see is two six-hour work positions that should be well fucking paid. You are paying somebody to wipe a child's ass. Like, pay them what they deserve. Because I know... Like, all of these men, all of these misogynists, you wouldn't do that shit because you don't even do it at home. Exactly. And again, like, that aside, when the kids are getting older, you know, when they're three, four, like, before they go to, like, real school, um, like, in a lot of situations, they are teaching them, in essence, a little bit of a curriculum. Like, they, they know how to teach them certain things far better than I ever would. Like, I'm not an expert at early childhood development. Like, I didn't go to school for that. Yeah. Yeah, and give them the opportunity to have, like, those moments of three-to-one or one-to-one attention with kids to to be able to see, like, oh, is, is early intervention necessary? Like, is this child, like, eating well, developing well, um, interacting where they should be? Socializing well. 
Exactly. Like, don't we want kids to be able to interact with somebody other than their mom? I do. I think that would be super weird. But again, it's a way for men to control women because when they say, Mm -hmm. oh, the mom is the best person to raise their kid, they're coming at it like almost, um, and I'm struggling to think of the word, it's like sneaky. Like they want, Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, we're going to give you a compliment, but really we're like being deceitful and we're being assholes because we just want women to stay at home so that they don't like go and kill it in the workforce. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and, and yeah, too, it's, it's a way to use like motherhood guilt against us because our working days are too long. We don't get enough time with our children. The way the working day is set up, it doesn't allow to have like that really good family time at the end of the day. Like you get everyone is tired and dinner. Yeah. Everyone is, is tired. Like we work too much. That's the problem. The problem is not that, you know, we don't have somebody at home with our kids the whole time. The kids need the other parent too, man. Like, it shouldn't just be all on this one person. So it is just as important that both parents are not, or or just one parent, is not just there for, like, a rushed dinner and bath time at the end of the day. No. Like, more time with parents, shorter work days, and also, like, the childcare educators are doing a great job. They're doing awesome. Pay them They're appropriately. They don't them deserve minimum wage. No. And they also deserve to have the time to do their best work. Like, they got into this for a reason. Yeah, they're they're passionate about it. So let them recharge. Let them be at their best when they're dealing with the, like, the minds and the youths of tomorrow. Yeah, and you learn so much from that. Like, the dynamic between a kid and um you know their first teacher and like I call the childhood educators like I call them teachers we have from day one um you know teaching kids how to to share properly teaching them how you know certain manners certain social norms they see so many different aspects of our kids than than we do and that's great because our kids are also full human beings and they shouldn't be reduced to just your child they are a human being and they should be treated as such. And I do think that early early childhood education is a right. It's an absolute right for them. And it's a huge disservice that we're not allowing every child to well, experience we have, that. We have education as a right for kids that are, like, it's, it's illegal to not put your kid in school, right? Like, starting at six years old. Well, I mean, the UCP did, you know, put in Bill 15 and are now trying to say, like, you can teach your kid what you want, when you want. But yes, yes, it. we did say it was a human right. We agreed as a society it was. And some So, But why does it start at it for six? Everyone. Like, why not start it at yeah. two or one or whenever? Well, I was looking into a bit of, like, um, you know, the history of childcare and, like, how it's done differently, like, across the world. And from the get-go, it was, like, five I don't know why it was five. It just was. Like, maybe it had to do with breastfeeding. I don't know. Because this shit started in the 1850s. Wow. In the early 1900s, the United States of all places had universal public fucking kindergarten. So, at five. That's hilarious. So, what you're telling me is we have now gotten better technologies. Like, we are able to, like, remove kids from one breast, which we've been able to do for a while because rich people always had, like, um... Uh, 
milk nurses, like whatever they're called. You know what I mean? Mm. Like they always were using somebody else to like feed their children. Um, wet nurses. There we go. Um, but we just weren't allowing like women to be separate entities from their children. And so, we can do that. So let's do it. Absolutely. But an interesting read is actually a book called Making Motherhood Work. And this woman goes around the world and interviews different societies about childcare. And I thought the most interesting part of the book was actually the difference between East and West Germany. Because when she was doing the interviews, um, the generation that was raising kids was the generation raised when it was East and West Germany. So it goes through, you know, some of the Scandinavian countries. It goes Italy, East and West Germany, and the United States. And it is a really interesting look at how it is so different around the world and things that you wouldn't necessarily think were that different, like even just like societal expectations. Um, Really, really interesting read if anyone's looking for further information on this topic. Very cool. I like it. I really do. So, so with, what can we do? Yeah, I was going to say. What can we, because I feel like $10 is not enough and I feel like five years is too long to wait. Yeah. So I was thinking like, what can be our, our call to action, our pink tax rebate? And I think there's a couple of things. So the first is talk to their elected officials, both federally and provincially, because I do think that here in Alberta, there's going to be some pushback from this federal program. So we've got to advocate for this. And the men in your life need to be advocating for this as well. And so with that, there's actually, and we'll link it in the show notes, there is actually a letter that is already nicely typed out for you um, on the Canadian Women's Foundation website. All you have to do is put your name and your postal code in. I did it. It took like 30 seconds or less. And it automatically sends um, this letter talking about the $10 a day daycare. Um, I think we need to get loud about it. $10 being the bare minimum, I think, like you said. Um, you know, maybe there's a $10 a day for everyone and then it's means tested down to zero if you're under $150,000 or something like that. You know, there's a lot of nuance here. Ultimately, I think as a society, we need to get to free, accessible childcare for everybody. Um, and I think the only way we're going to do that is if we have both men and women advocating for this. It can't just be women. But I would say that we can't forget once this pandemic is over, like God help us if we ever forget this pandemic, but we can't forget just how much of a burden this pandemic has been on women. episode let us know what you think on facebook twitter and instagram 
The Pink Tax Podcast is recorded in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Our music is provided by Margot. You can find her work at noisebymargot.com. Sound editing by Peter Dobson. If you'd like to support the Pink Tax Podcast, you can make a donation at liberapay.com slash podcast and submit a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So that's it. That's all she wrote. That's the first episode that's of season start four. Of season four. So we'll nice. see you guys like next time. Woo. <laughs> uh, I hope Peter doesn't keep the woo. <laughs>